The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 68 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Debating whether to get a souped-up microphone hand or a high-tech spiked speaker armor for my next podcast persona revamp, I'm Adam. And Michael will be joining us at some point during the runtime of this podcast when no man can say. Though he did leave a note with a cryptic message a requested a very specific reading. <clears throat> You'll never see me coming. So there you go. A reference to a character in a 10-year-old film that was only used once uh, in that trailer. So you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> But returning to the podcast this time around is a friend of the show who, if he had woken up naked in a smoldering crater with a giant green fin on his head like the Savage Dragon, would definitely have made that look work for him. It's Gabe from Gabe Loves 90s Comics. How you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. Great to be back on again. This is going to be fun. This is a good issue. Oh, it really is. We're always happy to have you. And I know you have your copy ready to roll. Oh, yeah. I got a, I got a nice unhealthy collection of wizard <laughs> magazines i got a bit of pretty good chunks i get to stay pretty caught up with everybody on the show but yeah, excellent now i gotta ask though because i know that you ordered a copy of the alternate cover which we'll be talking about in just a minute but in general you're a guy constantly you're you're acquiring you're slabbing you're selling to get new stuff so there's got to be something fun in your hands at this moment what is the the acquisition for your collection you're most excited about right now i think my favorite recent kind of uh get was just recently we had our local comic book convention in vegas it's called the amazing las vegas Con. it's called amazing and it lives up to the name it's a really great local show put on by really great uh, show and convention people shout out to jimmy j and jimmy jane brothers so at, at, at the show i was able to find a local comic shop in town that i haven't been to before it's like a hidden spot in town it's kind of like my new easter egg kind of honey hole spot but they had a booth and at this booth, I got myself a amazing, great conditioned copy of Daredevil. I'm talking about the 1960s Silver Age, which is the first appearance of the Daredevil red costume. Whoa, cool. So, yeah, beautiful copy. I sent it out to a friend of mine to get pressed. It's sitting at CGC now. I was hoping to have had it by now. But not yet, but I'm looking for a nice grade for that thing to come back in. So yeah, I'm excited me, about that for sure. Well, keep an eye out uh, on your Instagram there. I'm curious too, uh, when you do that, you say you set it to be pressed. Is that mm -hmm. as far as you go with restoration normally? Or what would yeah. you Yeah. Does anything really more than a, a normal kind of press becomes quote unquote restoration? Mm -hmm. uh, Pressing itself is not restoration. Like CGC actually does it in-house themselves. But for me, anything where it comes down to like color touch or uh, any kind of like acid washing and things like that, where it's actually considered restoration, mm -hmm. you end up getting this purple label on the CGC uh, ah. case. 
and that purple label is a sore thumb. You can see it from across the room, <laughs> and it's like it's like a monkey paw. Like you don't yeah. want it. Like that is completely always ignored and goes for less value, like payment wise and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I like to just stick to. I try to find a, a nice of a copy as I can, maybe with some imperfections that can be improved with pressing. But I never get into any kind of like legitimate restorations. Okay. Now I'm curious, just because you know sometimes the CGC grading and other things like that, whether it's been restored or not, can be used as detective work. Have you listened to the limited series podcast, Stealing Superman, yet? No. What is this? It's all about Nicolas Cage's copy, his action comics first appearance of of Superman, among Mm -hmm. all his other super awesome collection he had in the 90s. Yeah. And it's, it's how it got stolen how they did all this work to track it down. It didn't, it was like a decade later, they mm-hmm. finally found it, all this stuff. Yeah. Like, it's really, I remember really the story. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know they made like a documentary or like a, like a podcast series. And that was like a $3.5 million book. Yeah. Like I mean, the details of it all are fascinating. And yeah. I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm really yeah. plugged into that now. Like, that's <laughs> right up my obsessive compulsive, like research side of it. And a uh, shout out to Paxton Hawley, friend of the podcast. He actually uh, mentioned that on his After Lunch podcast that he's a frequent guest on. And so I checked it out immediately. was super excited. But, you know, uh, back in the day, it seemed like if you wanted to spread the news around, you had to write into Wizard Magazine. So we're going to check out the Magic Words section as we open up Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. Now, our first letter here is from Lou Bank of Dark Horse Comics, who just writes in to drop a fun fact about a certain comics artist who is part of the Legend imprint that is published by Dark Horse. So here's what he says. Hey, Jim, I saw Mark Estrella's letter about the Super Friends in Wizard number 65, and I thought I'd throw a fun fact at you. Many of the machines and monsters in the old Super Friends cartoons were designed by none other than Jeff Darrow, artist of the big guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Jeff also did designs for Scooby-Doo and Richie Rich cartoons. Check out Big Guy Rusty for a good look at Jeff's amazing detailed artwork and see how much the guys who did Super Friends must have hated him. All that detail. He's sick! <laughs> So, have you read uh, Big Guy and Rusty? Have you have you gotten into those comics before? Oh yeah, I have this oversized hardcover here on my Ooh. shelf, and it's beautiful. They, there was even a Rusty and in a, in a Big Guy cartoon. Yeah, I remember that, that was my, my first exposure to that. And for years, I never knew that it was written and created by Frank Miller, of all people. Yeah, it's so but, wild, their, their collaboration. This Jeff Darrow artwork in here, I love Jeff Darrow. Like, he's incredible. I love this kind, this style of ultra crazy detail. I love it. He has so much fun with this because it's just, this, it's right up his alley. You can tell because it's all like mechs and robots and like monsters and dinosaur creatures. It's detail galore. I love it. <laughs> so much, so much to see in it. And specifically Jim McLaughlin in his response, I won't read it, but basically he just says there is this 25% larger version going on the market. So find a copy because you don't want to have to get out the magnifying glass. It'll all be on display for you. So it sounds like you could just do that by uh, looking behind you. But Gabe, yeah. what about our next letter here? All right. So next letter, this is a uh, John Lennon, uh, Baltimore, Iowa. Not that John Lennon, though. Dear Wizard, who would win in a fight? Pre-Onslaught Captain America or Heroes Reborn 
Captain America. Hmm. So interesting question. You know, you get the original version with the uh, Rob Liefeld version. So Wizard replies back, John Lennon? Hmm, that's got to be tough. Anywho, there's two schools of thoughts on this one. John Cerulli, big PR goomba at the House of Idea, he says, it's the same guy. Different universes, so it's got to be a tie. However, good old Rob Liefeld, current plotter and penciler of Captain America, he says, heroes were born Captain America. The second time around, we used a stronger super soldier serum. What else would you expect? So there it is, you know, where cat boobs and everything else came from. He's on the juice. <laughs> Rob Liefeld is confirmed. That double juice they got used is twice <laughs> as stronger. All right. So with that, we are ready to get into the... The big story in this issue is X-Men on the Run, which is explaining the premise behind the three-month-long X-Men summer crossover event titled No Exit. Writer Scott Lobdell describes it as, quote, the fugitive with mutants, and multiply that by a factor of 20 for intensity. Lobdell reveals that the story will lead to the team going on the run as anti-mutant sentiment flares hotter than ever, with Cyclops, Phoenix, Wolverine, Storm, and Cannonball getting hit the hardest. For context, it's explained that half the team is in space at this point in time, so Beast, Bishop, Gambit, Joseph, aka Magneto, and Rogue will not be part of the storyline. Now, the biggest news at the time, though, is that two new members will be joining the X roster during this event. One male and one female, as well as a new villain is going to arrive that will terrorize the heroes. Now, none of the new characters are named in this news piece, but a little digging around, we find out that Maggot was definitely one of them, because there's actually a sketch of him, but they're like, what is the name of this mutant? Lovedell teases that the new male character has, quote, arguably the oddest powers ever in the history of mutant kind. So I have to ask you, Gabe, do do you have any recollection of No Exit, or I believe it just became known as Operation Zero Tolerance? I absolutely do. Like, as I was reading through this Wizard magazine, this is like peak Gabe in his teenage years. A lot of stuff in here that I can actually remember pinpoints exactly the moment and where I was at the time. And with this is one of them. I love this series. I have Maggot is like nostalgically my favorite X-Men character oh, because wow. of this moment at this time. Like I have this is Marvel Legends figure here. I don't have a lot of Marvel Legends, but I mm -hmm. do have Maggot. I got like seven copies of his first appearance. <laughs> but it's because of this article, I still remember it. And that Joe Mad sketch, and then that the page next to it, that full-blown page there, I can always remember this as my first introduction to this and how this kind of really cemented my love of X-Men and Joe Mad at the time. And because of that, it just really put maggot into my heart and i just i met joe mad at a uh, san diego comic-con a couple years ago oh. and he signed this red monica from uh battle chasers poster for me and i go hey can you put maggot is the best on there as well <laughs> so i have that signed on this print so absolutely i i, I remember all this i remember Bastion, wow. i remember the the fugitive style because it was zero tolerance it was just like Bastion ended up being like this sentinel from the future that came into the past and was just 
gung-ho wiping out X-Men capturing them, stuff like that. Well, I, I just so happened, I shared it on a three-part series on our YouTube channel, this $50 mm -hmm. mystery log box that I got, and I ended up with, like, a whole run of comics from this era, not Uncanny, but just the regular X-Men title right. with Carlos Pacheco doing yeah, his Yeah, who we just recently there. lost. Yeah. Yeah, which was so sad. And so it, it, I'm reading through it here, and I'm like, wow, okay, this is really interesting stuff going mm -hmm. on. Now, that isn't to say it hasn't been done before because when are the mutants not being hunted when are they right. not being you know <laughs> this is more of a futuristic terminator version of a yeah. god love man kills but to me, it kind of feels like because they have these sentinels that are kind of like the extremist soldiers, you know, it kind of reminded me of Iron Man 3 a little bit there. But yeah, so really, really interesting, though, storyline. And especially like in this one issue, they have this brief moment where Gene Grey ends up going across, or like at least mentally or somehow into the Heroes Reborn universe and meets the Iron Man, you know, <laughs> of that universe. And then she blinks back into the 616 universe. So I don't know. I, yeah. I like all the twists and turns they added there. Well, you also got a uh, Francis Lionel U. Like one of his first work was in in this series as well. And I still remember there's this part where uh, the X Men get captured and they see that another sect of X Men have been captured. And they're being brought in, like you know, prison style. They're being brought in on this like ship. And it's Jubilee looking down and she goes, "This can't be the X Men because it's Wolverine and it's it's Jean Grey and it's Cyclops. It's all the big people there. There's no way they could have been taken down." But she notices that Wolverine and Jean Grey are holding hands a certain way, which oh. is like a special kind of like method for them or whatever. It's <laughs> not super creepy. But she was like, "There's no way that they could have set that up. This is the real X Men that we captured. We are toast." So that's yeah. how stuck in my mind that's wild yeah so i you know i may even like do this on an upcoming uh mini episode do a quick review as i continue reading through these issues but gabe there's a little bit more oh as a follow-up uh to this story wizard america online poll asked the question what member of the x-men would you most like to see bite the dust in this summer's crossover the results were pretty even as archangel and bishop tied each earning 17% of the votes. Cyclops and Psylocke weren't far behind. They each got 16%. Cannonball in the poll, he got 15%. Joseph, <laughs> I love Joseph Magneto, uh, but they scored 9%. Professor X got 5 And the other category filled out the rest of the percentages. Hilariously, though, it's revealed that Cyclops was a write-in vote and wasn't even on the original list posted by wizards fans just wanted that fool dead <laughs> adam what x-men character would you have killed off during this whole thing my vote honestly probably would have been for cyclops because he's always like i always love his design but I, scott summers to me has never like been my favorite character but at the same time i was trying to think like is there like a mutant who is like always just like well, you know why do people love him so much let me just rock the boat here or something mm -hmm. like that you know and so i was i i kind of lean towards quicksilver uh also just be like let's just have him die all of a sudden why not yeah nobody cares about quicksilver no time, <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's a, such an agitating character yeah i mean obviously you were reading the books at this time is there a character that they dropped in where you're like ah, i could have done without that one no, but I've always rather have seen like semi like bigger characters kind of get killed off or something like that. Mm. I always like the idea of maybe like with this being a futuristic uh, Terminator style Sentinel coming back from the past. Why not another time traveling character? So like Bishop, perhaps I think Ooh. would be cool. 
I think that would have had this really cool kind of connection with the time travel and the different characters like that. But, you know, it would have been back five issues later or something like that. <laughs> Wizard also inquired what mutant the fans wanted to officially join the X-Men. Link in this poll was the favorite with 26%. Adam's pick to be killed off was Quicksilver right behind Link with 22%. Morph was in third place with 20%. Good old Nate Gray, X-Man, he got 16%. Sunfire scored 9% with Threnody bringing up the rear uh, with her getting 5% and other rounding out the votes. So anybody else you would have uh, liked to have joined the X-Men at the time here, Adam? Um, that was the thing I was trying to imagine. Like, is there a mutant who like just never associated with them? You know, like, I, I guess I could think maybe like, do the, the Alpha Flight team members, do they count as mutants? You know what I'm saying? Like if they brought them over, because I just feel like they've been part of the mythos for so long, like guest appearances and stuff at X-Men. So like, is Puck technically a mutant? Could he join the X-Men and see what happens there? That's an interesting question. I have no idea. Yeah. Because I feel like they're, they're kind of mystical and magical. Like Sasquatch, is he a mutant or did he get transformed by magic? Like I, I can't, I don't know enough about them. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an odd blind spot in my knowledge as well. I don't yeah. know what their thing is. Yeah. I wonder. Or, or I mean, it could be interesting to look at a villain too. Like I know when they did Sabretooth, a lot of people didn't like that, but is there like, you know, a villain <laughs> who feels like they match a little bit better? Obviously when Emma Frost got in, she's been there for the long haul. It feels like. And... Yeah. I think she's already in it because she joined there oh generation x that's right yeah yeah yeah. what about you any anybody that's a a mutant running around or does it even have to be a mutant maybe it doesn't maybe that makes it more interesting maybe right so i was thinking i mean he's he's part of he's been i think he's joined the x-men since since this time period but like namor as a mutant oh yeah with the x-men at all during this Mm -hmm. time frame i always liked the government kind of style characters you know so I was trying to think who was working. Oh, you know, it, this is part of X Factor, but I would like to have seen maybe Havoc join back at this period. Okay. Yeah, because this uh, this was the time where it was after, towards the end of that Peter David first run, I think, and it wasn't the best. So I'd like to have seen him kind of join up with his brother. Okay. Know, so he, he would have died during Operation Zero yeah. or something. Now, interesting here, Gabe, our next story yeah. announces Marvel's Flashback Month event, which will find each non-Heroes Reborn title going back 10 years in the Marvel timeline for one-shots taking place prior to Fantastic Four number one, basically before characters like Spider-Man, Daredevil, and others had their powers. Now, as Sensational Spider-Man writer Todd Dezago explains, quote, at first we all thought what a stupid idea this flashback month was because the premise is a look at the characters before they got their superpowers. That didn't sound so interesting. And if you ask me, he's right. <laughs> Especially since as you read on, one of the stories involves a young Peter Parker and Uncle Ben going on a fishing trip. Sounds like great superhero comics, doesn't it, folks? <laughs> <laughs> But in a sidebar interview with DeZago on the next page, he adds an extra wrinkle to kind of pique our interest. Quote, it's a fishing trip that goes wrong. Probably every Stanley and Jack Kirby creature from the old monster comics will show up. So I was like, okay, there we go. There, there's a little something extra. Because I was just like, it's just going to be a heart-to-heart talk while they're fishing? Come on. <laughs> this isn't the Andy Griffith show. This is Spider-Man. But the story does reveal an interesting continuity fact, I feel like, just with that revelation that 
1997, the Marvel Universe had only progressed 10 years, despite the stories having been published for 36 years in the real world at that point. So it's, it's kind of interesting to look at. The other thing that I read, because as I was reading through those X-Men comics, in the back of one of them, it had this like three-page ad for the flashback month, which has <laughs> Stan Lee in like this, the ringleader of a circus, you know? And yeah, he's got like, that top hat and the, yeah. the cape going, yeah. <laughs> And so he's like, and I make an appearance in every issue. And I was like, well, there's one more thing that they should have mentioned in this. Like, make it sound more fun than just like, yeah, the story about them before they had powers. I'm like, I want to read that. <laughs> yeah, because this was this ended up being the uh, minus one issues. Oh, I see. Is what these were. So that's the one where uh, it's Spider-Man or Peter Parker and Uncle Ben fishing and there's like a monster coming out of the water. Zero issues, cross- half issues, negative now one issues. Negative one issues. Now we're getting into <laughs> math and algebra. <laughs> Now, I got to ask you, Gabe, though, if Marvel did a flashback month again now with a slightly different focus, what 90s writer-artist team at Marvel would you want reunited for a single issue? It would have to be Terry Cavanaugh and Splat. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was just a setup. That was 100%. That was was a T-ball, like, right there. Oh, so you just get Moon Knight going again for a single issue. Exactly. Just just bring Stephen Platt back. There's, There's actually, like, two issues of marvel comics presents that stephen platt did of moon knight before his moon knight run that were never published and they've been sitting in the drawer ever since kind of thing yeah that's amazing they still haven't been released after all this time seriously they don't want to pay him i guess (laughs) but so i guess what i was thinking about it they kind of did it recently but it was only a few pages in this dark hawk special where they basically kind of got all the different creative teams who had worked on dark hawk at some point and they each got to do like a couple pages of a story so i think just getting danny finger off back in there just i would love to see like a full issue not just one that was like a few pages that fit in between a couple issues in the continuity so i don't know like dark hawk he's not like my favorite favorite character Mm -hmm. and at the same time i have such nostalgia for him that i would love to just see the original team just taking another crack at it so yeah and another great team marvel's actually done it recently too is ron mars and ron Lim. They came back recently and did a Silver Surfer mini that had Captain Marvel in it. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it feels like, yeah, every once in a while they played our nostalgia and we get a little bit of that. So, all right, what's next here? All right, so we got to get back to uh, more news about the X-Men. Robinson fills in for Labdell on Generation X. This explains that Starman writer James Robinson will be taking over writing duties on the Mutants with Attitude for four months, starting with issue number 29. This is due to the fact that Liddell has been stretched thin writing Uncanny X-Men, X-Men, The Heroes Were Born, Iron Man, and an installment in the X-Men Wildcats crossover. Liddell does explain that the break may also become a strategic creative move that could find him writing non-X-Men titles, as he states. I think this whole Marvel bankruptcy thing has sparked a a desire to look at the rest of the Marvel line a little closer and see what kind of changes can be made. I'd love a shot at that. Translation, I'm bored with X-Men. Please, let me do something else. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting. I actually, in those same X-Men issues I'm reading, I love when I can find those issues that just go in continuity with what we're covering because there's a full page ad for issue 29 of Generation X where it's like, here comes Robinson. But I just thought it was was pretty fun that they were like so excited that he was going to be there now because yeah, I mean, he was the guy of this era. He was coming up. 
But I think, Gabe, that it's time to get into all that is packed into this issue. And I do mean packed with our table of contents. Now, issue 68 of Wizard featured two different covers. The first was an amazing electric blue Superman by Stuart Eminem. And the second was a Roger Cruz X-Man cover. And that X-Man cover, when we were trying to, you know, complete our run here, I had to search forever to find that one. It just doesn't come up very often. And there might be a reason for that. Because even though Marvel was pushing the book, this is how Wizard recollects this cover coming together in their big book of covers. So it says, as trendy as a members only jacket, while many covers stand the test of time, some, these focusing on a property that was hot for only a short time, make you look back and scratch your head. X-Man? Who's X-Man? A spinoff from the monstrously popular Age of Apocalypse X-Men crossover. X-Man was such a powerful mutant, which Cruz focused on in his sketches, that his story could only end one of two ways. Either he dies from a power overload or he eventually destroys the Marvel Universe. Several years later, the Marvel Universe is still here. <laughs> so I was like, oh, they did not care for X-Man. It seems like in retrospect, at least when this, you know, collection was being put together. So we're, we're going to get into him shortly. But I know that you yourself have ordered that issue as well. So that's great. Now you have both. Yeah, I remember uh, when you put out the uh, the kind of call to arms, like, hey, we need to find this cover. Why right? is it so hard to find? I remember looking at it back then. I was like, Oh, I'll find this. That can't be that hard of a cover. I've seen that before. It's like, what? This thing back then, it was like a $50 magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to wait forever to find it like under 20 bucks and I got lucky. So yeah. Uh, but this issue, of course, came packed with a lot of goodies. There was a Wizard the Darkness Chrome card, a blue Superman poster, uh, the 10th exclusive comic order form for a book called The 10th, not The 10th Order Form in a series, <laughs> an America Online subscription disc, of course, and inside was a mail-away Deviate half-comic offer from Wildstorm. Boy, were they pushing Deviate as best as they could. They're like, you love Jet 13, you'll love Deviate. Well, we'll get into how far that went a little bit later in the episode. But let's get into our first cover story here, Gabe, because this is a fascinating topic. Making Changes explores the concept of character revamps in comics as a way of revitalizing the storytelling and sales of long-running titles. Now, various editors are asked for their insight into this type of decision-making, which often leaves devoted fans furious, <laughs> says Spider-Man editor Ralph Macchio. Quote, lots of readers tell us they don't want change, but the truth is that if we don't make changes and keep things interesting, readers leave. And then Kevin Dooley, who oversaw the villain turn for Hal Jordan and the introduction of Kyle Rayner as the new Green Lantern says, I'm a firm believer that you have to constantly shake up the status quo. Otherwise, readers and creators both become complacent. So it's interesting that everybody is kind of on the same page here. The editors have the same philosophy, but it's mentioned also just in passing to give context, Silver Age revamps introducing Barry Allen as the Flash and Hal Jordan as the Green Lantern. They were these new characters, right? Were such a success that they lasted for decades. So it can be done right. Now, Denny O'Neill explains his view that, quote, many readers want to keep each character the way he was when they fell in love with them, but the attrition will make those readers fade away for various reasons. If we cater only to the agenda of the hardcore fans, we have less to say to a wider audience. 
Ads Macho, we always say readers are real editors, but we also can't let them dictate to us. If you don't throw some curves at them and not give them what they say they want, they'll leave. But then Peter David, who had successfully revamped Aquaman with a harpoon hand and a beard, explains about pitching the idea to DC executives, quote, we had to do a major selling job to convince them that we weren't going to screw up the character. Though David doesn't agree that changes are made solely when a character has been played out and sales are dipping, quote, that implies that there's no such thing as another in interesting direction to take. Which, again, I, I feel like everybody does kind of say, oh, well, they're desperate, so now they did this and they did that. But a lot of times it's just like, no, the writer wants to try something fun and keep it fresh, you know? So it's good to get that perspective. But let me ask you this, Gabe. Are you generally open to major changes with your favorite character? Do you get upset or do you look forward to an exciting new direction? I love new directions because it's it shows that there, there's some kind of stagnation going on. They need to change something up. And I end up feeling that way myself. So when I see, oh, hey, so-and-so's got like, you know, like a Superman. Oh, he's, you know, he, he, he's blue and he turns red again and stuff like that. That's kind of cool and draws me in. And a lot of these kind of revamps are my favorite characters. Like, like they mentioned here, Kyle Rayner Green Lantern is my Green Lantern. Danny Ketch Ghost Rider is my Ghost Rider. You know, so it's these revamps that really kind of bring things back around. Even like today, like Jane Foster Thor or Ironheart or uh, Sam Wilson as Captain America or even Bucky as Captain America. These changes and revamps are always a nice kind of pinpoint in history for these characters. Like the Hulk changes or he becomes like Smart Hulk. It kind of has a pinpoint of the timelines and stuff like that. So I, I enjoy this stuff a lot. Yeah, I'm always in favor of something new and fresh because, yeah, like to me, like, I, and I say this all the time is I love like an Elseworlds story or something, you know, mm -hmm. where it's just going to give you a, a different take on a, especially the more established characters. But I want to ask you this. Are you more in favor of a costume change or a new character taking on the persona from a previously established version of the hero or villain? I like seeing new characters. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I enjoy it, or it becomes a little bit more interesting to me when it's a a new character stepping into the role of another character. Right? Yeah, because it feels be. like the amount of times that they miss with a new design mm -hmm. is is like much higher than oh well, we put a new character to try it out. If with the exception of like going back to that comic you just got where Daredevil got the red costume, and you're like, okay, that's what it should have been from the beginning, not this you know yellow and maroon yeah. thing. Uh, but they had a little bit more to say about this topic so take us into the next piece here yeah uh so then also at this uh at this time the most talked about revamp was the new blue superman so wizard ended up polling their america online users about their reactions so the results of this is 67 percent liked the new costume 33 percent were not in favor of the redesign however 52% did not like the new power set. While 48% were on board with the energy-based Man of Steel, when asked which character revamp of the last few years the fans thought was handled the best. So we got with Green Lantern, he won with an overwhelming 54%. There you go, my boy Kyle Rayner. <laughs> While the Heroes Report Iron Man got 20%. Uh, the rest of the vote was split pretty evenly, 
uh, between Captain America, Aquaman, and all the rest of the characters. And Rob Liefeld's Supreme. I thought that was so interesting, but I guess it's just because Alan Moore was writing the book. But I was just like, Supreme, of all people to show up on there. But also, I think it's fascinating that people like the new costume on Superman, but they're like, he should have his old powers. You know, back yeah, Don't change his power set, but change his costume all you want. Yeah. <laughs> So let me ask you this, Gabe, then what yeah. is an example then of a comic book character revamp that you feel worked? And then can you think of a case where, you know, this bold new direction totally bombed? Uh, Man, let me think. Daredevil. When Frank Miller took over Daredevil, that character revamp where they kind of turned him into, you know, like a semi ninja trained by another uh, blind individual and introducing the hand and Electra. That revamp that turned him from like a hokey dokey, uh, more swashbuckling character into like a more serious character, I think that's one of the most pinnacle changes of a character ever that worked the best. I'll say like for me going into one that I think worked, like this is just because it was it was central to my comic book fandom, but Tim Drake as Robin. Like they oh, nailed yeah. that so perfectly from the introduction to the new costume. It fits so well into this world of Batman <laughs> without like being like a copy at all of Dick Grayson. I feel like that's a hundred percent why people hated Jason Todd. They're like, he's yep. just a jerky Dick Grayson. It looks just like him. Like, what are you doing? Right. And that's another thing too, with Jason Todd, that's another amazing revamp. With him oh yeah. Red Hood. Like, that has to be like top notch. I think that actually tops my original answer. Yeah. Sometimes you just need, you know, a couple decades so that he can get it done. Yeah. You <laughs> just have to come back from the dead and be a better yeah. character. <laughs> you gotta get one of those Lazarus pits in your backyard. That'll help you. Yeah, that works. But what about one where it just totally bombed, whether it was in your reading where you're like, what are they doing? Or just in general, that's notorious that you're aware of. Like, I know at this time, specifically, Wizard was really harping on noseless Wolverine <laughs> with the pirate mask. But I don't know what he's doing with that band. Yeah, band but, I, down, I, but I like that, though. That, that's, that, that has a soft spot in mind. Just because it was Joe mind. Mad. It's like, oh, it, Joe Mad did it. It must be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that, and it's just like, I mean, it was like the most major change to a character. It's like, oh, he's got bone claws now and stuff like that, right? <laughs> and so I'm just trying to think of a bad revamp. And there's, so, there's so many bad ones. How, is it, how am I not thinking? one right away i mean it feels like you know, i'm just gonna go with the uh the good old wizard uh we hate it all uh uh clone spider-man really okay so you didn't yeah. like scarlet spider it's really disappointing when they give you a cool character like ben mm -hmm. Ryan. and he was cool and then they just kind of erase him from from history because people didn't like him but in the story they just like oh yeah he just going to just disintegrate you know? <laughs> so what is it was kind of a waste of a re of a, of a revamp but, you know of course now he's been coming back and everything too right yeah they can't they can't leave it alone but um yeah and i guess like for me i kind of think of more along the lines like this is something that we're going to be talking about uh pretty soon here because there is an ad in this issue for resurrection man and i love me some resurrection man but when they <laughs> did the new 52 they rebooted him and he went from like kind of more a sci-fi character to like this like gods and angels and all this stuff and I was just like oh it's, it, it just took away like what I enjoyed about the character and it was just too like oh heaven and hell battling okay we saw that in Spawn we seen it. you know what I'm saying like it just it didn't feel fresh and it was new but it just it didn't revitalize the character in any way that I feel was made it unique it just kind of made it rote here so. we go I got one for you now 
out. Okay. How about the uh, the the Marvel Knights original Return of the Punisher, where he was like shooting demons oh. as like an avenging demon? I mean, I'm curious to read that when we get to that in a, in a couple months, you know, down the line, because that's going to be. I, I've heard so much about it and never actually read those stories, so I just want to it's, see it's how wild. bad it is. Yeah, <laughs> Punisher's just been a character that they just do crazy stuff. Like he became a Frankenstein monster at one point, which is amazing. <laughs> All right, now our next cover story, though, Gabe, is Cable Guy, <laughs> which catches up readers with Nate Gray, a.k.a. X-Man, one of the few Age of Apocalypse characters to continue on after the reality warping event from a few years prior. Now, just past his 25th issue is this moment in time, and it's explained that this floppy-haired telekinetic had already crossed over into the 616 reality to battle Cable and Professor X and getting involved with the Jean Grey clone Madeline Pryor for some kind of creepy Oedipal stuff, and recently moving to New York City to start a new chapter in his life. And says series writer Terry Cavanaugh, previously mentioned by Gabe, quote, the outsider feel of the book is definitely part of its appeal to a lot of people. X-Man is the next generation of outsider among the outsiders. <laughs> so I gotta ask you, Gabe, are you a fan of X-Man? We heard a wizard in retrospect kind of ripping on putting him on the cover. Do you think he has stood the test of time as he a valuable member of the X universe? Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I do like X-Men. I do have an affinity for this character. And it's surprising that his comic book here that they're ripping on, and I didn't realize that. I just totally forgot about the series because I was reading it because I love Steve Scrooge, and he was doing the artwork on this for a while. But this comic book series lasted like 75, 80 Oh, yeah, issues. it stuck around. Yeah, and I didn't realize that. I thought it was just like, you know, maybe made it up to like 30 or something like that. But no, this thing went on for a long time. And I really enjoyed this character because he was... He was that character of the time, I felt. I thought that this was more of like this generation's character where he looks like Eddie Furlong from Terminator 2. He's like a really good looking <laughs> character. Or even maybe like Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World. That's what I was going like to say. Yeah, Ryder Strong, <laughs> baby. Yeah. I, I, I gravitated towards him the same way I did for like Gambit. Like he was like the cool, mysterious, like good looking guy character and stuff like that. But he just didn't, his book didn't really go anywhere. But I was just so surprised to realize that it lasted like you know, close to 10 years. Well, I think the problem is because I didn't read it at the time. I remember seeing him, but he is so overpowered. I mean, he's, he's as strong as Professor X and Gene Grey and all these characters. Like he, He's what Cable would be if Cable didn't have the... Uh, techno-organic virus. Yeah. Because that, 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 he keeps having to use his powers to keep that virus from killing them. So if he didn't have to do that, he would be this powerful where he was just, you know, alpha mutant level. Yeah. So like, and I've been reading a few issues because I've picked him up in, you know, various mm -hmm. back issue bins just to get familiar. And I'm like, I get it. Like he does have a cool point of view where they wanted him to join the X-Men. And he's just like, no, like I've seen that this dream that Professor X is selling you does not work out in my <laughs> reality. the Age of Apocalypse rule. Yeah. That, that, that disintegrated the entire thing. So he's just like, he's like, why would I do that? It's not going to work out. I got to figure something out, but it's not with you guys. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty cool take. But yeah, yeah. I just I th just think when you're almost godlike, like it's, he's relatable to a point, but then you're just like, but he could just destroy everybody if he gets out of yeah. control, you know? Yeah, and you can't really get hurt. He, and he always has, his, his powers are always strong enough to solve whatever problem he's, he's yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, I do have to say, as a gag at the end of this article, Wizard includes a full page. It's called The Great X Cape, a return to the Age of Apocalypse board game. And they say you start out with 10 sanity points and you gain or lose them as you move to various spaces with hilariously geeky jokes like, quote, Ooh, did somebody step in something? Trip over the new universe and fall face first in a pile of Ultraverse. Lose two sanity and go wash yourself. <laughs> that hurts my feelings. I, I love Ultraverse. I know. That's why it's so interesting to see their takes just a few years out from the Ultraverse being this thing they were promoting, you know? Yeah. Uh, another one here is, why is there a staple in this toilet paper? Inadvertently grab a cheap knockoff book like Force Works, Thunderstrike, or Fantastic Force. Lose three sanity. Oh, again, there's <laughs> got to be some fans out there that are, oh, I love Force Works. Uh, and finally, then how does he smell? Terribly. <laughs> anyway, you find Wolverine's nose. Lose three sanity. <laughs> So it's just a lot of goofy stuff like that. I mean, we'll post it to social media so you can get a laugh. I just, I love just the inside joke nature of all that, you know? I think how they just kind of, it gives them a chance to kind of like release their frustrations. On yeah. They don't like, you know. <laughs> uh, but let's get out of Marvel for a little bit. Let's follow one of the Marvel castaways over at Image, Gabe. So, so this is a great article. This is fun. So this is called The Heat of the Night. Uh, it's a, uh, a brief article about the future of Witchblade and the darkness over at Top Cow, which includes this interesting explanation of how the darkness powers work. So Garth Ennis uh, says about the powers, ultimately, Jackie can create anything with it. But how effective things are depends on his knowledge of them. He can make a, he can make a gun because he knows how to break a gun down and, into its component parts. Uh, whether or not he can create bullets for the gun, that's another matter. In an upcoming article that Garth Ennis has left, the darkness... Wait, did I skip a line here? Wait. Um, in an upcoming storyline, it's revealed that Jackie will be trying to create a woman... Uh, but according to Mark Silvestri, he's going to uh, he's going to try to create one night stand for himself. He's going to screw it up, and it's going to be a nightmare for him. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's uh, also revealed in his article that Garth Ennis has left the darkness, and the writing team from Witchblade will be taking over the book. This is leading into speculation about whether or not Jackie Escudero and Sarah Pazinski. Sarah Pizzini? Pizzini? Sarah Pizzini will hook up romantically. But as Silvestri explains, long ago, one of these forces was created to defend against the other. In fact, some believe they were created to destroy each other. This uh, quote-unquote creating a woman storyline is an idea that will be getting a lot of criticism nowadays for sure. But do you think these uh, two titles are Mark Silvestri's greatest contributions to comics? I mean, I feel like just for the sheer length of their run, especially Witchblade that just ran forever, you know, like it, it just continues to be this popular book with a devoted fan base. Because like, yes, you could say, well, you know, he drew X-Men for all those years and things like that. And oh, he just did this big Cyberforce collection Kickstarter or whatever. But to me, I just, I feel like when you look at what stood the test of time, it, it's Witchblade and for a long period to the darkness. But what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I do think this is his most substantial. And like you said, in terms of like longevity, sake, you know, his work on X-Men is fantastic and whatnot, but these characters have transcended him. Sarah Pizzini, Witchblade, 
it got a, a live action show on TNT yeah. for what it is. But still, that I mean, that happened. I mean, it's one of the only image titles to really get any kind of like live action work. I mean, other than Spawn, but that series lasted a good long time. Darkness has gotten two excellent video games back on the PS3 days. I don't know if anybody's played it. If you haven't, you're absolutely missing out. Fantastic stuff with that. They've gotten like animes and other kind of cool stuff. I'm a big fan. I, I do the Kickstarters for their hardcover Witchblade, uh, like omnibuses and same for the Darkness as well. So I'm in. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm not someone who's read a ton of it, but like when I just think of Mark Silvestri, that mm -hmm. it's probably because also Jackie from The Darkness looks like Mark Silvestri. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, Michael Turner too. You okay. know? And some of Silvestri's best art is doing The Darkness stuff as, yeah. as well. You know, so it's, I think he had the most fun with this. I think he just Seems was like, like yeah, it. I guess, it took a while for them to get into it because he was doing like the superhero stuff and kind of weird like bad girl titles for a little bit. But like this Witchblade and this Darkness went on for a while. He had great writers. Paul Jenkins was on uh, Darkness for a while. Ron Mars was on yeah. Witchblade for a while. He did a he did a huge run. Oh yeah, yeah. When we had him on, he he's like, yeah, I read, he read it for he wrote it for over a decade all told. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like that's amazing. These are the characters that stand in the test of time. Uh, you know, like you said, they work. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, once like all the image guys, you know, that were maybe just copying their success at Marvel did original things, they had a little bit more success. But speaking of Marvel, this next article here called What's Next for Marvel is an explanation of the details of the Marvel bankruptcy, which was shaking all the fans, you know, to the core. What's going to happen? Just want to help them get a grip on the future of Spider-Man and the X-Men and the rest. So I'm just going to read a few highlights here just to kind of lay out what this is all about. So it says, how did Marvel get to this point? Beginning in the boom year of 1993, when DC Comics' The Death of Superman story and general speculation on hot comics drove industry-wide circulation to a 10-year high, Marvel went on an expansion spree. Since 1993, Marvel Entertainment acquired a number of companies, including Fleer Skybox, Panini, Malibu Comics, Heroes World, and 26% of Toy Biz. To acquire these companies, Marvel borrowed money from a number of investors. After acquiring these companies, the trading card and comic book industries took a downward turn, and now Marvel does not have sufficient funds to repay the debt and cover operating expenses. Oops. And then, they, you know, they explain what is Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Well, Chapter 11 is the section of the Federal Bankruptcy Code for court-supervised reorganization of debtor companies. What that means is that when a company can no longer pay its bills or when the company expects future debts it cannot hope to pay, it will file for Chapter 11 protection. Then they ask, will Marvel still publish my favorite comics like X-Men and Spider-Man? Absolutely! Marvel's operations will continue as before. They could be trimming of the lines as the company seeks to improve revenues by eliminating marginal titles. However, the move to eliminate titles seems highly unlikely. Quote, as for selling off characters, there is absolutely no plan to do that, said Gary Fishman of Marvel Investor Relations. I bet that guy never expected to be quoted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gary Fishman. I'm going to tell you all about it. Uh, and they ask, uh, where does the money come from to publish? In part, the same places it always has by selling comics. It also come from a special kind of loan called a debtor in possession financing, which serves to protect a restructuring company. And then uh, what else is it mentioned here? Oh, yeah. 
So it says, what happens to other companies connected to Marvel? If the proposed restructuring is approved by the court, Toy Biz would be 100% owned by Marvel Entertainment. Marvel currently owns 26%. In addition, Marvel may consider selling off the less profitable companies such as Flare Skybox. So anyway, there's just a lot of little details and things like that. But I think it's kind of fascinating because my understanding is that ultimately it's Avia Rod that kind of buys out Marvel. Isn't that what happens? Like Toy Biz ends up owning Marvel. Yeah. It's weird how that happens. And then, you know, what happens to Toy Biz now? But that does give us Aviar Rod, who's stuck around with all their movies. For yeah. My understanding is there's like an entire book devoted to the stuff. So a lot of people have read and have all the details figured out. But it's just interesting to look at in this moment in time, what they understood and what they could share to, you know, kind of keep everybody calm. It's like, no, they're still doing it. Companies do this all the time. <laughs> Everything's in place. Don't worry. This is one of the articles I was talking about earlier that this is stuck in my mind. I remember reading this in my PD class in high school. <laughs> and then like, this is one of those things where it's like, oh, I learned what bankruptcy really means and what chapter 11 is because, you know, companies always go bankrupt and restructure and stuff yeah. like that. And even most recently with the uh, Aftershock comics, it's like, oh, they're going bankrupt. And it's like, no, it's chapter 11. And from what I learned in Wizard number 68 back in April 1987 <laughs> is that's just a restructuring of the organization and it's that. So it's going to keep operating. It's stuff like that. And it's they taught you something here. Like They tricked me into learning. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. That, again, Wizard's just a hype magazine for image. No, no, no. They did their work. They tried to inform as well as entertain. Geeks, it's time to take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. Yes, Manscaped offering the best in men's below-the-waist grooming with their precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Psst, that means your balls. You know, it's 2023, and that means it's time for you to reboot your personal hygiene routine by using this exclusive offer from Manscaped just for our listeners of the Wizards Podcast Guide to Comics, you'll get 20% off and free international shipping. That means you in Canada also. <laughs> um, by using this promo code, Wizards20 at checkout. When you're shopping for great Manscaped products, like the Performance Package 4.0, Yes, like you said, Michael, it's a new year that'll be full of new experiences as you take your grooming game to the next level with Manscaped's innovative tools like the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. So, Michael, I gifted my dad the Weed Whacker for Christmas, <laughs> and he is now singing its praises, okay? He had a run-of-the-mill nose hair trimmer he said he liked, you know, he'd been using it for years. But now, because of the Weed Whacker and the fact that it's waterproof, it features Manscaped's proprietary skin-safe technology. He's enjoying the comfort of reduced uh, nicks and snags and tugs. And when he's cleaning up, you know, the old schnoz there. You're welcome, Dad. <laughs> but Michael, how has Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 been improving your lifestyle? So in addition to using the Weed Whacker, which I used this morning, funny enough, uh, as you just mentioned, which I love and it's fantastic. I've used several different nose hair things. And they always nick and pull and it's, just a, it's a pain. Um, I'm continuing to use the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer on my head, which really it's unbelievable. It works fantastic. Keeps my head super smooth thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology. Plus, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Toner are a nice way to stay fresh during my daily activities. And you know what? Having that shed travel bag 
to hold everything is fantastic. I have a nice, easy place to put all my stuff. So my wife's not complaining that it's all over the counter and everything else in our bathroom. So Adam, what about you? How has Manscaped been helping your life? Well, see, my family gifted me tons of Manscaped products for Christmas. Like I got the ultra premium body wash, okay, which is infused with aloe vera and sea salt. Keeps my skin fresh and moisturized. Plus, it actually smells great. Uh, It's got this woodsy scent. It's bergamot and lavender. And I have no idea what bergamot is, but it's working for me. But it's delightful. Yeah. (laughs) I'm also digging, uh, they have the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which has coconut water, green tea, aloe, turmeric, and sage. And it's- Turmeric. Oh, turmeric. See, again, I don't know these things. I'm I'm not fancy enough to be using Manscaped. You gotta be a hipster from Brooklyn like me. You gotta know. (laughs) But but the cool thing about that mixture is it's naturally hydrating. And that's the thing I notice is just my my skin actually feels good after I use it. It's not all dried out and gross. Uh, Plus their ultra premium deodorant is great too because it's all clear it's aluminum free and it doesn't leave like marks or odors on your clothes and most of all i would say it doesn't enhance the stink i don't know if you've had that experience michael of deodorants that actually make you smell worse throughout the day have you ever had that i'm just like yeah what they, they say happen? they're like oh it's 48 hour protection but by hour four it's like radiating yeah odor i'm like and then, yeah, then i go for an antiperspirant instead and then i just sweat all over so like this is like the perfect middle ground okay <laughs> you saying the word antiperspirant really makes me laugh <laughs> yeah. i love that your family gifted you stuff using our promo code that's hilarious <laughs> i said now's the time guys get a great deal for your christmas shopping <laughs> absolutely one of my very close friends i gifted him the lawnmower 4.0 for christmas and i reached out to his wife first and i said is it okay if i get this for your husband and she goes Please do. No (laughs) one needs it more. So I gave it to him for Christmas and he's called me up and he's like, dude, this thing is incredible. And my wife is thrilled that she's not looking at a mountain of mess down there. And and my his wife even thanked me, too. Which is kind of weird, but it's cool. I like it. So it's time to up your grooming game in 2023. Like 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to take care of their balls with the Performance Package 4.0 that includes the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, the Performance boxer briefs, which I use all the time, and I wear them great. They're very, very comfortable. And the Shed travel bag to hold your gear. Best of all, you get 20% off your order and free international shipping. Manscaped, the best for men's grooming. Now back to the show. Speaking of entertainment, though, here, Gabe, we're about to get into some fun. So why don't you get us started here? All right, so here this is a shock treatment, which uh, is an interview with the very quotable Eric Larson about the current state of the Savage Dragon and whether he has gone too extreme. Oh, wait, that's a Rob's gimmick, excuse me. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, uh, at this point, Larson has a fully R-rated book featuring sex, violence, and swearing. Not just any swearing. God himself was featured in the book using the F-word and smacking around the devil. About his apparent campaign to offend everyone, Eric Larson explains, I'm just having fun. It's one of the benefits of not having an editor. So if something occurs to me that happens to be offensive or twisted as all hell, I'll just throw it in at the heat of the moment. 
Apparently, Larson does have a limit, though, as he refuses to depict the naughty bits. No exposed female nipples, no female or male genitalia. That's where I draw the line. Eric Larson does want to push boundaries, though, explaining, It struck me that comic books have really lost that edge they used to have. Now with these horrible video games that have people ripping heads off and pissing down their necks. Comics seem pretty tame in comparison. There was something cool about having the edge, and I think I've got that in Dragon. Wow. Just this opening, just all the stuff that he's talking about here. It's just like, man, he really does just want to shake the boat a little bit, I think, here. And uh, I I think it's fascinating as he goes on here, because Larson admits to getting some angry letters from offended readers, but feels that most people buying the book are on the same wavelength, as he calls it. But when he gets letters from kids whose parents forbid them from reading The Savage Dragon anymore due to the objectionable content, Larson says, quote, those are the letters I feel pretty bad bad about. I didn't mean to go that far. I'm sorry. But at the same time, I'm not putting anything in the book that they wouldn't see on television or hear while hanging out with their friends. I'm like, well... (laughs) What, cable TV, maybe? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, Yeah, if, if these kids are watching like NYPD Blue or something. Yeah, maybe. Larson also admits that some parents have written angry letters after their kids saw the toned down action of the Savage Dragon cartoon series and are shocked to find what's inside the pages of the comic book, about which he says, quote, I know there are some people out there who feel that's irresponsible, but F them. <laughs> It should be mentioned that Wizard had to censor almost every picture and quote they included in this article because the content of Savage Dragon goes beyond their own PG-13 standards. So it's pretty fascinating to look at. But speaking of the animated series, Larson says, quote, People may wonder why I'm not taking more time off to make the Dragon cartoon series better than it is. That's not to say it's lousy. I don't think it's lousy. I think it's terrible. I don't think it's lousy. Funny guy, this Eric Larson. Oh, but uh, what else did he have to say here? Because this this article is packed. When we put this on social media, you got to read the whole thing, folks. Oh, You're yeah. going to be laughing. So going on, uh, Eric Larson does confirm his devotion to Image Comics in this interview, even describing how he differs from his colleagues. I don't have vast studio with a bunch of guys whose job it is to make sure I'm promptly mentioned in all the magazines and that everybody loves me and all that kind of stuff. It's just as well because the guys who do that are finding out that when books don't sell as well, that's an awful lot of mouths to feed. Uh, Deciding to go out with one more controversial statement, Larson mentions the recent guest appearance in Savage Dragon. He says, I had Spawn appear in issue 30 and God appeared in the next. The sales went way up for Spawn but came down for the gods issue. Todd has the perfect opportunity to do an ad that says, Spawn, more popular than God. (laughs) Uh, Thanks to my book, he has the solid proof to back it up too. Just going all Beatles on his comics here. (laughs) Just wow. Trying to get the people to pay attention to what he's saying. But I mean, like, this is fascinating. So I think the idea that he's saying, like, if if you look at who has lasted, right? So Mm -hmm. the fact that he and Todd are still like the stalwarts of Image because they, it was either all them in Eric Larson's case, you know, or just, you know, a few 
devoted people in your office in Todd's case. It's, it's just like everybody else, you know, from, you know, obviously Extreme Studios and everything that went down there to, you know, eventually selling Wildstorm, Jim Lee going off to DC because he didn't want to run all the, you have all these people working for him. And even Top Cow, I'm sure, has downsized over the years. So uh, interesting perspective you had. But finally, Larson admits that he would like to publish The Savage Dragon up to issue 302, quote, just to piss Dave Sim off. And as we all know, he is closing in on this goal. Currently, I think he's in the 260s. And it is the largest unbroken run by a writer artist in American comic book history. So that's pretty fascinating. Um, I don't understand why, though, and maybe you know, Gabe, that Todd got to 300 before he did. Did he take a break at some point? Is that why? Well, Eric Larson's a one-man train on this book. He does everything besides the lettering like he, mm -hmm. he writes it he draws it he inks it he colors it all that stuff he's in charge of it like this is his business he's the one that has to do all the printing and all that kind of fun stuff and then also at one point he did take a break from the book because he started taking over the management of image comics uh, that's right yeah yeah i think he started taking i don't know if it was, it was as, a, as a publisher or the financial advisor but whatever it was he had to like take over the company and kind of bring them out of sync in a little bit so he did that and then that took away the time from his book and even currently now it hasn't came out in a long time because he's hit a wall of writer's block oh okay and he was working on doing a uh hardcover omnibus Ooh, okay of the first like uh 12 issues or something like that and he had to recolor all the pages Eric Larson's a great guy. He was just recently on my my YouTube channel. Uh -huh. I interviewed him on there. And he went deep into how they lost the color files for the original issues. So they had to recolor it and all this stuff. And that again, he's a one-man show. So it's him in charge of doing all this and overseeing all of this. So there is times where an issue doesn't come out every month. It might be maybe once a year, twice a year. Like It comes out when he's able to produce it. Okay. Michael has arrived. Let's welcome him in. He wants to talk Savage Dragon, I'm sure. Cue the uh, Kermit the Frog. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Hello, how are you guys? Good. What's going yeah. on, man? Not too much. Sorry, it took me, uh, you know, nearly two hours to get my children to go to sleep. So uh, that's always fun. Been there. Well, Michael, we are glad to have you here. This is exciting. You've arrived. And we were just talking Savage Dragon. Oh, so I know I, so much about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have plenty to contribute. So let me ask this question. You come in if something comes to mind, but how do you guys feel about Savage Dragon as a whole? Like, is he a character that really has a legacy in terms of like, mass appeal or is it just kind of like uh you know you can respect that guy because eric larson's really stuck with it what, what do you think gabe i think he it is he deserves to be in a bigger spotlight than what he is right now savage dragon is just the only people who read savage dragon are the, the people who've been reading savage dragon yeah issue one kind of thing you like the entire is. time i've ever worked in comic book stores we've ever only ordered savage dragon for the people that wanted on their pull list so even mm. Eric Larson said it on my show that if there's 10,000 copies sold of Savage Dragon, 9,999 of those are in somebody's pull box or like, you know, they're long boxes. That yeah. yeah, they're, they're, not they're impossible to, to find. They are so expensive, some of these books, like the later issues and stuff. It's a longevity thing. It's a legacy thing because Savage Dragon that Michael or Adam, I don't know how much you know about Savage Dragon, but it's not the same Savage Dragon in the book anymore. Right. He has... He has been, I don't want to get into spoilers, but it's a different Savage Dragon. 
It's his son now. And his son is taking over the book. And his son has kids and they're growing up and stuff like that. So it even mentions it in this article. Like, oh, yeah. maybe one day I'll have a son and maybe his son takes over and then, you know, yeah. the dragon leaves. It's fascinating. Like and it's just like, it's, it was, it's, it, I don't know if that was the germ of the idea and it just stuck in later or he's already had that plan. But it's awesome to see this article mentioning, this is where he mentioned that he wants to do 300. And now he's stuck to that. Like he even says, he's like, I got to get to that 300 because I said it. And it even has all these kind of futuristic or like uh, foreshadowing of the book, like with uh, Malcolm taking over and other things like that that he mentioned. And even like, I would never show the naughty bits in, in my comic book. Uh, it is full-blown triple X sometimes. Okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, what's your thought here? You know, I, I actually did know that nowadays um, the son of Savage Dragon is like the, the main focus in the story. But I feel like he's a kind of character that sort of has like a cult following. Like think of it like... Mm-hmm. um like people that love the evil dead or even like Kevin Smith movies, they like, they follow it and they'll go see it because they love whatever that little nuance is or that little thing about it is. And they'll go along with whatever comes out with it, but they don't often grab new people out of nowhere kind of thing. You know, it's yeah, the I'm- grandma boys of comics. <laughs> <laughs> it's underground. And only the, the, the people who are into like, weird naughty stuff knows about yeah. it. Yeah, well, that's what I find so strange about it because it kind of has to stay that way for him to do what he wants to do, right? Because if he ever, like, he can't really get it into, like, a Walmart or something because they're not going to carry that kind of stuff. So, you know, not that they're really carrying comics other than those DC and Marvel packs, which are disappointing. But yeah, so I, I just think it's kind of fascinating because, yeah, we know about it, but I think if you ask the average person on the street, do you know about the Savage Dragon? Do you even remember the cartoon? They're like, no. I don't know what that is. They're like, I remember Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Is that related to him? No, no. I remember Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Gabe, why don't you take us into this next article here? Uh, next article continues the highlighting of uh, manga in Wizard Magazine, providing previews of the new manga titles arriving in the United States throughout 1997. Titles include Blade, uh, Blade of the Immortal, uh, Metal Guardian Faust, Hellhounds, The Dirty Pair, Dracoon, Rise of the Dragon Princess, Inuasha, Gunsmith Cats, Robotech, and Reality Check. Have you guys ever checked out any of these manga titles before? Oh, yeah. I got a whole, you know, <laughs> the whole history of them. I'm really interested in Gunsmith Cats. I don't see if it's just cats that are just making artillery or something. Just, yeah. Well, that there's an article in this, or a contest, I should say, in this issue that's a Gunsmith Cats contest. So they're really pushing it. I, I, I will say, like, I recently picked up a, a Dirty Pair comic in that 50-buck, you know, mystery log box that I got. I always, you know, knew uh, about Adam Warren's work you know associated with gen 13 and stuff but uh, i thought it was pretty cool like there i mean it is out of control like just like the energy and the detail and the excitement of that book and a lot of tech you know technical jargon that mixed into all that but uh, i think that's pretty fun and then otherwise like i know about robotech i have some robotech stuff that i've just collected over the years that happened to come in front of me but like the rest of the stuff like inu yasha what metal guardian faust huh you know just like that kind of stuff uh totally passed me i've read a little bit i got the first hardcover for blade of the immortal which is interesting because it's the first manga that's actually written and drawn to be read left to right. 
as opposed oh. to Frank Fillette. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So they were just taking the American comic book style and going with it. Okay. Now, next one here, I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this. This is the Wizard Q&A with Andy Kubert, and it is an interview with the dependable, if bland, artist who was just launching the ongoing Kazar book with Mark Wade. Now, of his reason for choosing Kazar as his next project, after being the artist on X-Men for six years, Kubert explains, quote, when I got onto X-Men, I had to follow Jim Lee, someone who was way up there their talent and someone who sold like a zillion copies of the book. I wanted to do something now where I wouldn't have to follow anybody. I wanted something that was me and my own, which I can respect. I understand that. Now, explaining how he and Wade landed on Kazar specifically, the artist states, quote, he faxed me a list of characters. I was a big fan of Kazar in the 80s, so I said, hey, what about Kazar? He said, okay, great. The story is almost identical when Cubert recounts how he got permission from Marvel Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris to leave X-Men. Quote, so I just asked Bob, what do you think about me going to do something else? How about Kazar? To which Harris replied, sounds good. <laughs> It, it seems to me there was just a lot of apathy over at Marvel in 1996-97. Like, whatever. We're going bankrupt. Who cares? Yeah. It's yeah. the X-Men. Whoever I put on here, it'll sell. Yeah. yeah. Go have fun. Now, the writer of this article is Matt Senreich, and he asks Hubert to describe the character of Kazar, and he admits, quote, he's me. He's totally confused and hard to dislike. He's in control, but not in control. And I've always wanted to live in the wilderness, just as long as there's a blockbuster nearby. Huh? Huh? Oh, anyway, he's trying to be funny, folks. Now, when asked about some of his favorite work in comics, Hubert spotlights issue 33 of X-Men, stating, quote, that may be my favorite issue that I've ever done, and also expresses his desire to work on Captain America or Spider-Man in the future. So we've kind of asked this in the past about the Cuber brothers. I feel like they are so not controversial that it's like you respect their work, but is anybody excited when you see the name Andy Kubert or Adam Kubert on a book? What do you guys think? I think it's excitement in the idea of like, oh, great, there's a character that can get a book out on time, maybe. Yeah. But as much as I love Andy and Adam Kubert, yeah, you're right. I don't think they really draw any excitement. I don't know if their names sell books as much as, you know, they might think they do or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's like they've put them on big deal titles, like you say, so that they will be consistent and it, and it is going to be like quality art and storytelling. But at the same time, yeah, there's no like rah-rah for the Kubert brothers. It's just kind of like, yeah, we know their names because they've done so many high profile things, but it's just like nobody's like, I'm a super fan, yeah! Or maybe if you are, if you're out there, hit us up on social media. Tell us we're wrong. But Michael, I feel like if they had done like some creator own stuff, the Cubert brothers, maybe at this day and age, they would have been getting a movie deal. So why don't you take us into Heroes in Motion? All right, so our top story from the world of superhero movie and TV projects is that Spider-Man, the animated series story editor, John Semper, has written a movie script for the webhead. Okay, not exactly, he explains. Never in a million years would they let me write a Spider-Man feature. So I decided to make a five-part story arc for the fourth season of the show called Six Forgotten Warriors. 
about which he explains, it's my take on what a Spider-Man feature should have been. The story reportedly stars World War II characters like Captain America, the Wizard, and Ms. Liberty in flashbacks from the 1940s and in the modern day, working with Spider-Man to uncover a mystery. Says Semper, it's really cool. I've always wanted to do something like Watchmen. So do you guys remember this particular storyline in the later seasons? Have you watched these episodes? So I, a few years ago, rewatched the entire series when I was home on paternity leave. And I do remember when he first like meets Captain America before they do like the Secret Wars episodes. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the episodes were relatively forgettable. I feel like. Well, that that's the thing. So yeah, they're not like super high profile cameos to have. But I remember like when I was doing my rewatch and those came up, I was just like, wow, this is like very dramatic and adult storytelling. So it totally makes sense now that he's explaining this was like my movie script idea, that, like why it was such a departure from what we were getting normally on the show. So that, that was kind of cool to realize that now. Semper also mentions how they had just done a season with the Black Cat as a featured guest star due to fan demand and that the next season would feature a Secret Wars arc inspired by the popular Maxi series from the 1980s. Even though Semper admits to have hated the 12-issue event, Marvel icons like the Fantastic Four and Captain America will appear in the story as well as Storm, but the rest of of Storm's mutant friends will not be featured in this version because, as Semper reveals, we did an early episode of the X-Men, and all I heard about was how expensive and difficult it was. The Hulk will not guest star either due to his own series getting a second season on the UPN network, and since Venom was already introduced in the first season, there will be no black costume Spidey by the end of the arc. Also in the works is a series of episodes called I Really, Really Hate Clones. <laughs> Which sounds like a title created by the wizard staff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I know, Michael, I feel like every time we mention the animated series, you talk about how much you loved that Secret Wars arc. I did love that, but... After that, like the the last, I'd say, couple of episodes with like the whole, you know, Hydro Man and Hydro Mary Jane, and then you get to Madam Web. Those episodes are so bad. It's like, it's hard to watch. I I hated those so much. Although they did that kind of like Spider-Man multiverse thing, didn't they? At one point. So like that, they teased that a little bit in this article as well, when they're mentioning that. So, I mean, they, they were far ahead of the curve in that respect. A few years ago, I guess they released like the screenplay with like, you know, some sort of like sketches and rough ideas of what would happen after the end of the series. And it kind of ties in the convoluted ending of the final season and it makes it better. But it still made me like I I wanted to see really what happened, like how they could have done this better. And it bummed me out a little bit. Next, we get the first mention of a possible title for an upcoming live-action Superman movie penned by Kevin Smith, which, as we all know, becomes the Death of Superman Lives documentary (laughs) years later. (laughs) It's reported that Superman Reborn, or Superman Lives, are both being considered, and that this news comes on a Burger King negotiation 
to get the fast food tie-in rights for the film. Of course, Nicolas Cage will eventually be cast as the Man of Steel in this project that never takes flight. Uh, but can you can you guys imagine like a Burger King tie-in? I'm trying to think what the Superman lives like. Nicolas Cage would have been action figures. Like what what would they have, would, it, would it have been a, like its own like special meal or would it have been in well, in the well, kids you know meal? That like there was a, um the the there was some sort of villain in the movie or some sort of thing that he fights like a giant spider. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> imagine it was like a a Burger King big like a Whopper with like fries coming out of like a spider. <laughs> Like some onion straw legs, yes. yeah. yeah. Wow. I was thinking the uh, the onion rings could be made into like the S yes. title of triangle. Oh yeah, onion rings. But no, that's what they would do. They would like brand the Superman logo on the top of the burger. Yeah, bun. you just yeah, charboil that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. They branded it for sure. Gina Davis is reportedly trying to produce and star in a live action animated CGI mashup Christmas adventure called. The Sorcerer's Apprentice being written by the creator of the comic strip, Bloom County. That just sounds like a convoluted mess. Yeah, that, that's um, a, there's a lot going on in that, all of that. And, like, <laughs> and at this time, to mix live action, animation, and CGI, it would just look horrible. I yeah, it's know. just like like the worst version of Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. The story is unrelated. A cool world. Yeah. yeah. Cool, yes. <laughs> yes. A, a, probably a, a worse cool world. The story is unrelated to the famous segment in Fantasia starring Mickey Mouse as it is being developed through Warner Brothers, not Disney. Of course, Davis never gets this movie made, but Disney eventually does make their live action version of The Sorcerer's Apprentice many years later with Nick Cage and Jay Baruchel. I don't remember The Sorcerer's Apprentice. At Nobody all. remembers oh, no. it. it. I've it, seen it. Yeah. Oh, There's really? a few yeah. of them, wasn't there? It's based on like a like a book series. I don't know. You are you thinking of like The Last Witch Hunter with Wait, was it was it animated? No, no. it's live action. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Very like mid two thousands kind of like hey we're just putting this out here oh nobody's gonna see it okay <laughs> next up Mark Silvestri is continuing to develop a live action Witchblade series but first is moving forward with an animated comedy for Fox called Subculture about a dysfunctional future dominated by consumer products Salvation comes in the form of a few rebellious kids and a band of mutated lab animals engineered from a quest for the better mascara. Of course, this never happened. This is just like that Sorcerer's Apprentice pitch. It's like, this is too much. What are you mixing in here? I feel like that's the super pets. Those, yes. you know, those animal lab animal goes rogue and all this They're stuff. They're throwing but... things together in the, in the stew pot to see what, yeah. they, what coagulates. Yes. <laughs> Moving on, an update on the Batman and Robin film gets its own sidebar with exciting revelations like one of the Batman costumes worn by George Clooney will have a slight blue contrast to the black area. Breaking news, folks. <laughs> oh, God. And Clooney is not dyeing his hair. He's keeping his trademark salt and pepper gray. Wow. <laughs> Though one fun bit is trivia that Jeep Swenson who plays Bane in the movie, was actually a member of the Red Triangle Circus gang in Batman Returns. Yeah, I had no idea about that. I was just like, hey, he was in the fold already. I guess so. Oh, man. And finally, 
Wizard provides a special report on Michael Jai White, the actor portraying Al Simmons in Spawn in the live action movie from New Line Cinema. A lot of space is given to covering the physical demands of the role and how White's background in martial arts and ability to bring a unique movement to the character got him the role. Apparently, the fact that he could act was just icing on the cake. But sharing his thoughts on starring in a comic book movie, White explains, Comics have come a long way. It's kind of like growing up watching Happy Days, staying away from television for a while, and then turning on Martin and Roseanne. It's such a difference. To me, Spawn deals with contemporary times. Superman or The Phantom were cool way back in their day, but Spawn reflects more of what society is now. It's more interesting to see the dark hero, the duality of human beings to the core. He put a lot of thought into this. He's like, oh. But that's the thing. Like People knock that Spawn movie. I love him in that role. And he really sunk his teeth into it. Like he really tried to make that thing great. He was fantastic in the movie. Yeah, we we gotta cover that soon, Michael. I want to talk about that movie with you. So it's gonna come up in the timeline here. We just gotta make time to have some fun. That's fine. Let me know what you guys think about the uh, CGI dog whose mouth doesn't move. (laughs) Oh man, the CGI in the movie really is rough. But what cracks me up about this is just like that, just the reference to Martin or Roseanne, and then he's talking about contemporary times. I just saw that on one of the streaming services, there is a Martin reunion. That's HBO Max, I think. Yeah, HBO Max. And it keeps coming up as a recommendation for me. And I'm just like, they did a reunion of Martin. I thought all his co-stars hated him. That's well, what I remember. Yeah, and, but, it's so under the radar, too. Like, it yeah. just literally, like, it literally never even was, like, advertised. Nothing. Just poof, it's there. Like, oh, like the okay. last couple of seasons, him and Gina, they've had like some kind of weird like sexual harassment thing. Yeah, and he like brought a gun into the set and all this yeah. stuff. She wouldn't even do scenes in the same room with them. Like they were yeah. all like her on the phone in a different yeah. Like, side but of the I, I have to believe he did bad bad boys for life with Will Smith, and then he's just like. Wait, he gets to do a reunion special for his sitcom. I'm doing a reunion special <laughs> for my sitcom. <laughs> That feels about right. Yeah. This issue also features a casting call for a big budget non-TV movie adaptation of Generation X. Despite Adam and our friend Steven believing we have a definitive live action version of this comic, we're going to just see what Wizard has as possibly better ideas impossible impossible but we'll we'll see what we're doing here but gabe let me ask you this have you seen the generation x tv movie so what is your thought going into this can it only improve or do you like it for the time i saw it live when it was first on tv and i don't think i've seen it since then because it kind of got you know buried but i remember enjoying it for what it was i also just remember that the, the kid that played skin i was like the whole time they just kept making fun of his curly hair <laughs> for like no reason like the max headroom guy was trying to shave his head because he didn't like his hair did you have curly hair back then is that why no i just thought it was just weird i was like oh. really like was this written into the script like did he have to have curly hair or was this just something oh. like, hey we cast this guy in his hair i thought you were relating to him it. you're like don't cut his curly hair <laughs> it's just a weird thing just happening like they keep just talking about this kid hair like yeah okay. I, I enjoyed it I, I, i've been meaning to 
find it on YouTube and watch it again. Oh yeah, I mean it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, you can get it pretty easy. I just want to read a bit of the introduction here because it says, "Okay, let's face it, the Generation X TV movie kind of sucked. Fans thought so. We thought so. If Wizard had to cast a Gen X flick, we'd have a massive budget, so ILM could work wonders with the kids' superpowers." So let's see who they wanted uh, to get into this big budget production. To start off with the White Queen, Emma Frost, they have Rebecca De Mornay. And I almost feel like she's even maybe a little old at this point for that role. You know, mm. I, they, they list her as Hand That Rocks the Cradle, but when did that come out? Was that early 90s or was it? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, was, that was early 90s, but I mean, she's she's probably in her 30s or approaching 40 at this point. So that's about right for Emma Frost. She's, it's right. not nowadays. Uh, yeah. I think she has the attitude and the mindset that she can kind of walk around in lingerie and intimidate men in be scary. more ways than one. Yeah. So next up, they have for Banshee, a British actor that everybody knows, but this picture is so he's unrecognizable. Yeah, to I had to, they they picked Ray Fines, and I'm like, okay, I see Ray Fines. But what movie but is this? I have no idea. Like, is is it that what what's that one that takes place on like New Year's Eve in the future? Do you know what I'm talking about? 1999, where you, where you record your your memories and sell them to other. Yeah, that one. What's that movie called? I can't remember now. I think it's no I think it must be that movie. Because they list the English patient in Schindler's List. And I'm like, this is not a picture of him from the I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a period picture. He no. looks a little scruffy there. It is not. So what are the biggest thoughts in particular for the Generation X movie and TV show and everything was the casting of and, and character of Jubilee? And I think they still missed it on this one. Yeah. Um, though I think she's great as an actress. I really, I really do like her. Lacey Chabert, right? From Party of Five. She's a great actress, but she's again not Asian. Yeah, I mean, I think if they wanted to do it right at this time is Kelly Hu, who I know her from Surf Ninjas, but (laughs) she went on to do other things. But I I think she would have been awesome because she just had uh, like a great attitude to her that I think you need for Jubilee. So if they were actually trying to go for an Asian actress, I think that would have worked out a little bit better. I agree. So next we have M. I don't even know this character. Uh, M's great. And they have an actress named Rachel True. From the, from, I guess she's from the movie The Craft. Is she in The Craft? Yep, yep. Seems like that could work. I was trying to think if there's anybody else that I know that you know that might be a little bit more well known at this time. You know, uh, but you need someone who's like super dignified and like just kind of uppity. And that's what I was trying to. Imagine. I mean, last time uh, when we were doing a, a casting call, we wanted Stacy Dash from Clueless, but I, I think she might have a little too much attitude in the wrong direction, more playful attitude than Em's supposed to have. So this girl could work. Next up, I honestly think for this particular window of time this casting is really really good for the character of husk they have reese witherspoon i'm good with that one that's a good one yeah i mean husk you know has that southern side of her and she's cannonball's sister right but for me like i i was thinking if they were going to choose an alternate for this casting maybe christina applegate would make an interesting husk as well so i don't know i was just going to throw that out there i thought she might she might work even though know, christina she applegate to... is not a bad thing so yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Especially this time frame, sure. Mm-hmm. So the next character we have is Sink. I don't know this character, and I don't know who this actor is either. 
Yeah, Dangerous Minds, Rion Shannon. I mean, that was like a Fox TV show. Or no, he must be for, yeah, the TV show Dangerous Minds. But was that based on the Dangerous Minds? I think it's a, it's a spinoff of the yeah, show. Of of the, movie. the movie. Yeah, I was going to say. I was like, with, that, with that not got Michelle a TV Pfeiffer. series? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the next up we have is Chamber and... Oh, Stephen Dorff. Sure <laughs> he always know? comes up in our casting calls. <laughs> they love Put him, him in everything. He's he's like the '90s Eric Roberts. Yeah, but he's not British. Chamber's supposed to be British. I I feel like you could definitely go with somebody like Johnny Lee Miller. Like he would have been a good Chamber. Or you do some stunt casting and you get like, you know, somebody from one of like the British bands at the time. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So you get, uh, what's his name? The guy who was married to Gwen Stefani. Oh, uh, Gavin, Gavin Rossdale? Oh, yeah, Gavin, Gavin Rossdale, Rossdale from, uh, yeah. from Bush? Yeah, because he was in Constantine, I think, eventually. So he could have yeah. done a good chamber. Sure. Or Mr. <laughs> Bean. You're really good British <laughs> <Mr>. Bean. <laughs> Just blow up half of his face, whatever. <laughs> He doesn't next talk that for, much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> next up for skin is a guy that I haven't seen in a long time. Michael D. Lorenzo from New York Undercover, which was like knockoff NYPD Blue. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I like him as an actor. I don't I don't know skin all that well as a character. So sure, whatever. Fine. So then we have Penance, where they cast Thora Birch from which they list her as from clear and present danger. She's in so many other things. She's in Hocus Pocus. Come on. Why would they put clear and present danger? She's in monkey trouble. Yeah. Penance. I don't know. Like, I mean, Thora Birch definitely was an actress who, you know, acted beyond her years. It always felt like, but it's, I, isn't Penance like a silent character or does she? Yeah, just... she's mute. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you want somebody like super expressive or, you know, like who can uh, see mysterious. What was the girl's name from um from My Girl? I, I know who you're talking about. Her name is, um oh, I should know this. I, I you feel... would know this. Where is my 90s cred? It's going out the window right now. Uh, it's uh she's got a, a weird name too so I, I gotta look it up now that's the girl from uh, alex mack is it no Never. that's different her name Driving is Theta in the movie but yeah it's anna chomsky chomsky <laughs> yeah that's it anna but chomsky was, i mean it would have been cool in a, like in veep and stuff like that yeah extend right. her career a little bit farther yeah yeah give her a little something to do for Mondo, which they list as the fat kid of the team. Come on. <laughs> He's Samoan. He's, yeah. <laughs> He's Samoan, and they choose Sean Weiss from Mighty Ducks. I'm like, that's a little racist. Well, <laughs> it, but in the TV movie, they, they, they cast an African-American actor. It's just like there were no Samoan actors available in Hollywood. I can't believe that is the case. Yet one of The Rock's cousins. I know The Rock was just becoming <laughs> a thing, but still, <laughs> just call him up. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I I want no part of that comment. <laughs> Next up they have a character named Mplate, uh, who is the bad guy from Generation X. And they have future Brooklyn Nine Nine star Andre Brower. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody always says that I know him from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. He was the general in that movie. Nobody remembers that, but I do. <laughs> He's fantastic in, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, though. He rules. Yeah, he is funny in that. <laughs> yeah, um, then, uh, is this the last one? DOA? Yep. Okay, DOA, they have... Oh, no. Really? <laughs> this is another one of those actors that was in too many things and kind of like a Paulie Shore, just kept getting jobs even though they didn't deserve to work. Wasn't uh, he on news radio, though? 
Yeah. Well, that was his big mainstream thing. Andy Dick, you know, it's just like he was of the 90s. He was that guy, right? Then you're in a movie with Pauly Shore and that's the end of your career. You know, you're just, (laughs) I mean, he had other issues behind the scenes from what I've heard. He's kind of an outrageous guy in real life, but still, it's just like of the era, sure. Put him into a weird character role, whatever this DOA character is. But you know what would have been cooler? Like Neil Patrick Harris would have been cooler. <laughs> but Neil Patrick Harris, yeah, is anything, right? He could do it all. <laughs> he's, a, he's a chameleon, that guy. He could do anything. So, And that's our uh, casting call for the Generation X movie that no one would care about. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think we might have to have Steven on for a rebuttal and get like, if okay, if I had to do an alternate casting, here's who I would pick. But you know, Steven, he's devoted to his cast. He would never yes, he's, not he's bring them back. Loves that, that... <laughs> nonsense oh my goodness so next up we've got some merch madness All right, so Merch Madness. Uh, you guys uh, already covered a lot of the action figure news in this issue as part of your Toy Fair bonus episode. But there is some news about the new exclusives being released to members of the Todd McFarlane Toy Collectors Club. All new repaints of Spawn 2, Redeemer, The Curse, Violator 2, Ninja Spawn, Vertebraker, and Cosmic Angela, which can be purchased as a set for $75 with a membership, and gold members get 10% off that price. 75 bucks for 97. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot, though. I mean, you but that's like really eight devoted. figures, though. So, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that it's kind of cheap. Like, it's just like, hey, you want the full collection? You got to get all these repaints. And even like the ones they did release to stores had a ton of like different paint styles just because they changed them in the middle of production. So, man, to be a spawn collector, I don't envy you, our friends who have been on the podcast who are devoted to collecting every spawn figure. That's a rough go. And then uh, next up, uh, for those who care, uh, Shotgun Mary, a character published by Antarctic Press, will be getting an action figure released to comic shops and even a variant version with different card art and accessories. Yay, I guess. Yeah, Shotgun Mary. You know her, you love her, right? Hmm? (laughs) Even Antarctic Press. I haven't heard that name in so long. And then in trading card news, uh, an ad for oversized Lady Death Chromium cards measuring four by six is featured next to news about a re-release of the Gen 13 Chromium card set, which is being released without the Chromium and rechristened as Gen 13 Classic, which includes a subsect of exclusive Wildstorm collectible card game cards to entice fans for that double dip. I just think that's hilarious because it's just like, it's the same cards, but with no chromium. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we take away the coolest part and we yeah. buy it again. The absence of the gimmick is the gimmick. It's great. <laughs> it's very bad. They're going to want it again. They're going to do double chromium. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Wildstorm, in an attempt to merchandise their edgy new DV8, the studio is releasing the ultimate collectible coffee mugs, everybody. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's the trend that, that took the 90s by storm. You remember buying up all those coffee mugs featuring your favorite comic book characters, don't you? Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe not. 
but those cool uh, uh batman returns uh oh, yeah from mcdonald's so that was etched glass though that was yeah, real art i still have that this is like white coffee mugs with characters printed on them like can, can you imagine if that it says do not dishwash something? yeah <laughs> not good yeah <laughs> hand wash only yeah that, that's just hilarious to me they're just like what are we gonna do oh, <laughs> we and, gotta get something out there yeah my aunt minnie's got another 35 coffee mugs in her, in her i have to believe it actually has to do with the popularity of friends and all their time spent in the coffee shop and they're just like yeah that's what the kids like they spend all their times in coffee shops they'll bring their dv8 mugs with them i don't yeah. think anybody knows about dv8 still unfortunately uh, not <laughs> <laughs> all right so wildstorm are Aren't the only ones on the wrong track, though. Marvel announces the release of their Pro Magnets series featuring images of Venom, She-Hulk, Spider-Man, and others. Not only that, the Highland Mint is releasing the new Marvel medallions, which feature actual comics art etched into the bronze or silver coins and include a character bio etched onto the back with an exclusive serial number. Apparently, they misinterpreted the appeal of heavy metal to the younger generation. Ah, oh, but this is just like, I, I, they're just, what is the next thing? Because trading cards are dying, right? So they're like, collectible magnets. Ooh. Magnets, yeah, and it's selling on Home Shopping Network and QVC. (laughs) Uh, Finally, tying in with uh, one of the covers of this issue, DC Comics is releasing a new Superman 97 Luminescent Watch, which has a face displaying the new stylized S-Shield logo that glows blue and white with the push of a button. The watch was limited to 5,000 pieces, and sold for a sixty-four ninety-five. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, dude, I think that's awesome. I would totally want to pick that up. When I, I was in college, a girl that I was dating gave me a, a a DC Batman watch that when you press the button, the bat symbol would appear and then it would wow. disappear. It was really cool, but it like stopped working really, really quickly. Ah. But I think the, the watch was like two hundred dollars. I'm like. 70 bucks and it is the, is the lightning bolt that's kind of cool i would have done for 70 bucks yeah cool. and you just keep hitting that button and you know glowing it all the time just because speaking of superman though i gotta say i'm mad at myself for joining into this episode so late because we got blue lightning superman as a major topic in this episode and one of my favorite iterations of cable x-man how did i miss this stuff well, x-man is great <laughs> yeah we we were talking about it it's i could have had things to share well I you stuff <laughs> before we go out here why don't you hit us up with no. why is nate gray a worthwhile character in the marvel pantheon oh i didn't say he's a worthwhile character <laughs> what i just didn't have a leather jacket that's why <laughs> he's Superboy, but cable <laughs> the, the thing about the x-man thing it's very like I don't know Norman Batesy in a way I feel like because he's oh. so like he's so obsessed with like you know Madeline the, Pryor and Jean Grey and all this yeah, he's like, getting what, involved what, with what, them. What do they call them? Uh, Slim and what was the Jean Grey's character in the future when they did the um, X Factor stuff? Uh, Slim and Slim and uh, Red. Red, yes, yes, yes. It's 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 very awkward and and weird in a way. They kind of try to reimagine it a couple of years ago um, when they bring Cyclops back to life and X-Man comes back and kind of like reincarnates him somehow. It's a very convoluted story, but he, he has the potential of being a very interesting version of Cable, especially when he kills older version of Cable all the time, which he does (laughs) 
quite a lot. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> just kills himself. Well, recently they made him into like the messiah of the mutants. Yeah. It, it's got really weird and convoluted. Yes, it's almost. very convoluted. It's very confusing. It's got a great character design. It can be really a, a cool character when written properly, but sometimes it just feels very... Um, What's the word? Like an Oedipus complex, in a way? Yeah, that that was my commentary on it. I was just like, this is kind of weird. Yes. <laughs> so, it's, like, it's like Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of stuff that maybe hasn't aged well, Michael, uh, let's close out here with some comedy. <laughs> oh, we're going to go into some Turok's Top 10, and I haven't looked at this yet, so I know this is going to get very awkward. So the top 10 things on Banshee's to-do list come St. Patty's Day. Okay, number 10. (laughs) Get blitzed on Jack Daniels, then run around the yard wearing nothing but a shamrock and a smile while beating the bushes for snakes and yelling, magically bleeping delicious. (laughs) Every Irish stereotype. They really did. That's like that's like how many stereotypes we fit in one sentence. There it is. Oh, number nine. Find out why they call my stepbrother Black Tom. (laughs) I don't know what they're getting at. I don't want to know. That's a that's a car crash. Yeah. Uh, Number eight. (laughs) Get into a huge fight with Ghost Rider over which is worse. The Having your soul bonded to a vengeance-seeking demon from hell curse or the, you know, Irish curse. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Number seven, just doing it. Okay. Is that like a Nike joke? I I was going to say, is it Nike or is it getting it on in the 90s parlance? (laughs) For for St. Paddy's Day? I don't know how to relate to St. Paddy's Day, but sure. Um, Number six, track down Union Jack, Captain Britain, Baron Blood, and every other English super type I can find and show him the neat trick I can do with my shillelagh. Don't know what he's doing in the shillelagh. Uh, Number five, uh, vomit. (laughs) The number one activity for everybody on St. Paddy's Day. Number four, see how far I can stretch skin. Oh, they wanted to shave his curls. Now he's going to overstretch him. Come on, Banshee. You don't want to do that. Number three, force Mondo to touch the Blarney Stone and then go to town. Again, I don't know what that means. Is the Blarney Stone like something that makes you invincible or is it unbreakable? Like what? No is, we, we need to do some study into these, uh, you know, the history of Irish folklore. I think it's supposed to be part Irish. to kiss it. But okay. then apparently, from my understanding, everybody pees on it. <laughs> So kissing wow. the Blarney Stone is just like, yeah, go kiss that pea-covered rock. Wow. That is amazing. Oh, gosh. Game number two. Translate X-Men's origin into Gaelic and see if it can make any sense that way. Oh, another dig at X-Men. Wow. There you go. And the number one top ten thing on Banshee's to-do list on St. Paddy's Day, mistake that little green bastard leech for a leprechaun tie him to a chair and ask him where he's hidden his gold, popping one of those giant pink zits 
on Artie's head every time he fails to answer. Go back to number five, vomit. (laughs) I think vomit should have been number one. Ooh. Yeah, they should have. They should have just gone back to that one a couple times. Yeah. Running gag. Yeah, I, I think every activity should have ended up in vomiting because he's drunk during all these activities. So, Gabe, thank you so much again for joining us. We love having you on the show. You're so fun to talk to. Where can people find you? If you want to hang out with me and hook up with me online on Instagram, it's Gabe Loves Nineties Comics. On YouTube, uh, I mentioned on the show a few times. I do have a YouTube channel, Omni Bros Live, which is a Omnibus Collectors podcast where I had Eric Larson on there recently doing an interview. So really cool videos out there if you guys want to check out some of that as well. So that's a cool place to be, but the other cool place to be is over on Patreon. Yes, Wizards, the Patreon guide to comics, and it is time to shout out our awesome patrons. That's right, first up we have Mark McDonald, still number one, our buddies at the Retro Network, Mickey and Jason. We have Stephen Forshaw, Lee Markowitz, Mitchell Hall, Denim Jedi, Jeffrey M. Battle, Mark Quill, Steve King, and our buddy Joe Marcello from Dollar Bin Bandits, who you will hear on our JLA special coming up here soon. Hey, but somebody you just heard from is Gabe. Yeah, he's also a patron. Gabe, what made you jump on over to join the cool kids? Yeah, I'm one of the cool kids. I know what's up. Uh, <laughs> I always like the... I, I did it because I, I like the idea of getting the episodes early and in the uncut versions, because being on the show, I know there's a lot of hidden jokes and information that we can and, and flubs by conversations. me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all about michael's bloopers it's a, the blooper yeah. reel at the end of everything yeah it's, yeah it's those those are the things that i think are worth the, the five bucks okay. yeah Five bucks a month, plus you're getting a scan of the issues so you can read along and enjoy. A lot of people keep seeking, where can I find Wizard Magazines? There's a few scans here or there, but we are giving you our scans to enjoy. So get on over there to patreon.com forward slash Wizards Comics and join the club, geeks. And for the record, for five bucks a month and you get the scan versus going on eBay and doing what I did and spend like $14 for one issue. I think I had to buy like the, the Beavis and Butthead issue for like $14. Like <laughs> For five bucks, I got it for free, basically for nothing. That would have been great. Yeah, plus you get to interact with cool people like Gabe now. So yeah, just get on over there, be a part of the, the club. But also make sure you're checking out our YouTube channel, Wizards Comics, where I'm in a little bit of a transition right now where I'm moving my office, but I'm going to be uh, showing off some fun new stuff You know, that's being added to the archives in our haul video series. But uh, we're hoping to have a little bit more uh, varied content in the new year as well. So just want to make sure you're subscribed there so you don't miss it. We always like to, to sneak up on you with a bonus episode or two. Speak Speaking of which, so after this episode comes out, our next one is going to be the JLA special. I know we just did a Toy Fair special. I know we just did the Jim Lee special. Wizard was releasing so many special issues at this time. We just can't stop doing bonus episodes. So that is something for you to enjoy as well as we have a nice conversation about DC's number one super team, the way it was meant to be in the 90s with that awesome roster. Which, funny enough, they just killed off in the DC universe present continuity that's how it goes <laughs> but michael where can they find us uh day in and day out online day in and day out so if they go to the if they're still on the twitters they go to at wizards comics if you're on instagram it's at wizards underscore comics and if you're on the facebook's 
it's at Wizards Comics as well. You yeah, we have website. set up a Facebook group and a TikTok account. We are not taking care of them at this time, but they do exist. Because well, I am going to give uh, Adam my video of my building of my display cases, yes. which Gabe can see behind me. And we'll post that as, as either a reel or a TikTok or whatever. And we can share that on social media because I'm pretty proud of how nerdy you came out and pretty amazing. <laughs> so. <laughs> That is Good. definitely something to look forward to. And it's a pretty awesome video. So you'll want to see that. You can also go to our Tee Public store if you want to get some merch, if you're looking for a hoodie or a t shirt or whatever. And you can go, if you want to go to our website, which is wizardscomics.com, you can see a lot of our back episodes as well and listen to some content. And you can go to the Retro Networks feed on itunes or whatever and listen to all the other shows on the retro network and get some really cool stuff there's so much content if you love being a kid in the 90s and just going back it, it covers the gamut over on the retro network.com and in their podcasts and youtube channels so make sure you check those out we're always grateful to mickey and jason for giving us a home here on the retro network and we're thankful to you all for listening and so until next time keep your books bagged and boarded you should have done that in an Irish accent. Oh, keep your folks packed and boarded there, boy. Oh. <laughs> Dude, uh, drunk. Yeah. Uh, keep your... Oh! <laughs> <laughs>